0: You're listening to Love & Radio with Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, The List, featuring Adam Warner. Number five, run a half marathon.
1: So how often do do you run?
2: Uh, this past week has been really bad, but usually I try to go at least like three times a week. Um, but yeah, I haven't run in like four days. Today might be rough.
1: (laughs) What do you think about when you're running?
2: I guess the stuff that I have to get done, the kind of like, logistics of all this trip and what I'm going to write about next or, you know. It's a really good way for me to sort through my to-do list. Have
1: you ever been a
0: runner?
2: No, I'm not a runner. This must be love. Yeah, it definitely is love.
0: Number four, live in at least five different countries. So far, I've only got Canada and Korea.
2: Megan and I met in 2007 on a friend's roof. Where was that? This is in Seoul, South Korea. Why were you Uh She and I were both uh, English teachers. Our mutual friend, whose name is Joanna... I met Joanna my first day in Korea and I mean from the second day she started talking about her best friend that was coming over to, to live and teach from the beginning said, You can't date, you can't date, you're not allowed to date this girl. We had a really big group of friends that were all really tight and she was concerned that it would like ruin the, the friend dynamic. So naturally when somebody says that, of course you wanna like explore that It seemed like such a ridiculous thing that our friend was making a huge deal about us not being able to date. So I turned into a big joke and would send this girl that I didn't know at all uh, just like really weird emails and stuff that didn't make any sense or like lyrics to really cheesy pop songs. When Joanna was telling us we weren't allowed to date before Megan came to Korea, I sent her the lyrics to this song. Last night... I had a dream that we went to
1: Disneyland. We went on all the rides, didn't have to wait in line. I drove you to your house where we stared up at the stars. I listened to your heartbeat as
2: I held you in my arms. San Dimas High School Football Rules by the Atari. Was so the lyrics to that song is what I said. Right? Nothing could go wrong
1: any time that I'm with you. You're blushing right now for the record. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thanks. We're leading up to that first kiss. I think when they wrote this song, school, well, I hope that when they wrote that song, that they were joking. Because it's like, it's so ridiculous. These are the things that make me free. I feel like I'm stuck in Stand By Me. That was my intention anyway, as, was as like a joke.
1: Too good. So you meant it ironically.
2: Yeah, I totally meant it ironically. I'd even have Wayne Newton dedicate a song to you.
1: That is kind of a funny way to start dating, to joke about starting to date.
2: Yeah, 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 we spent like two months joking about dating, and then she got there and we dated like a month later.
1: I wonder if the joking, that sort of gave you guys like
2: a common ground to begin with, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that did form some sort of bond or something that I don't know if we would have had otherwise. Well played, only well played, by me. Be. <laughs> just dump your
1: boyfriend and go out with me. I swear, I'd treat you like a queen.
2: She liked wearing dresses a lot. It's nice to when girls wear dresses. <laughs> it just sounds dumb. I think i say. <laughs> I think it's a different aesthetic when, when women, as opposed to pants. Yeah, yeah, and it's really comfortable and easy. And there's nothing wrong with women wearing jeans. Believe me, I think women look great in jeans. But it, you're not Arnold Schwarzenegger, is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I saw her pictures and stuff, and I knew that she was pretty. But I don't know. I was definitely like taken aback, and, and I was definitely intimidated. My friend that was leaving the following day I ended up talking to her way more than I did. Like I did the introduction and that was about it that night. And Couldn't deal with more yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. It was too much. <laughs> we had the we went on like our first real date, I guess you could call it. It was still like in a group setting. Um so but we, we sort of like we split off at the bar and she and I just split a, a picture of whatever terrible beer that they serve in Korea and I don't know. I think after that night both of us were were fairly certain that we actually we liked each other and wanted it to like be something. Yeah, it was it was really natural.
1: You say that as though she was your first girlfriend, like the the vagaries of nature were at play.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just I think I'm largely confused by women, but uh no, it wasn't I mean, I've dated other people before, and it it just didn't it didn't feel the same. It didn't feel the same. How did it feel different? It it just I don't. I had that like uh oh moment, or or whatever you want to call it, when we would hang out, and that that to me signaled that you know this might be more than just a casual dating relationship. We developed this habit of getting on city buses and just riding it to the end of the line. Um, in Seoul, the transportation's so cheap. You go you go really far outside the city, too. So you get to see like really interesting, crazy parts of Korea. So we just hop on a bus and ride it to the end. Megan found a brochure for this place called the Eight Wonders of Danyang. They play it up like it's... <laughs> It's a huge deal. You know, they have tons and tons of brochures about this place. It's totally underwhelming. Like, (laughs) they have, you know, a mystical waterfall, and you get there in the town. I mean, it's a rock face, and they have a, like, they literally flick a switch and it turns into a waterfall. Like, water comes. (laughs) They pump water out there from the river and shoot it down the face of this rock, and they have lights underneath. And that's the, the big waterfall in town. They had a crossbow range there. It was an actual crossbow that you could shoot at balloons. Like, really? (laughs) an actual, like an old wooden, it was awesome. It was so awesome. So I won Megan, like a, I don't know, a stuffed bear or something stupid.
1: That's incredibly dangerous.
2: It was so sketchy. It was great. There were no tourists there. There were like two hotels and one of them had holes in the roof and it's just
1: So that was your place
2: only? Yeah, I think that was like our one year anniversary or I don't know. We just decided that was our anniversary time, so.
1: Do you remember the first time you guys exchanged I love yous?
2: Yeah. In the beginning, we had like a little bit of a rough patch and I think it was overly dramatic on both of our parts back then. She was upset in the background, and I was upset, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And Joanna called me, and she was like, she just kept telling me that she kept saying she loves you and stuff. Uh, really? So ready.
1: she told you through Joanna?
2: Yeah, that was the first time. But then, like twenty minutes later, she actually came over and said it. And I don't know. I was surprised by it. I wasn't uncomfortable with the idea. I was just surprised that she said it before I did. I think. But then I said it like a month later after we went to this Mexican restaurant with a bunch of our friends and in the cab ride home. I told her, like, you're really important to me and I love you.
1: What was the squabble about in the that was happening in the background?
2: I really like movies a lot. So I would download them and just want to watch it right then and i wait for anybody. So I would like watch a movie without her. Even, and she didn't really even care about the movie she just wanted to watch it with me it was stuff like that that we would fight about we'd have an argument for like five minutes and then we wouldn't talk for one and then we'd be fine you know just kind of like gotta get it out or wouldn't talk for one minute one minute yeah just be quiet and then that is the shortest silent treatment I've ever heard <laughs> our fights were really sad we didn't have like epic blowouts where people are like throwing stuff The next summer in 2008, she felt a, a lump, and then she wanted to get it checked out. Everybody, of course, is like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to be a big deal. I remember being a little definitely worried. Um, your mind, naturally, kind of goes in every direction possible to maybe try and prepare you for all of the outcomes. So yeah, I was definitely scared, but I, I, I really honestly didn't think it would be anything. She rode the hour-long bus from Seoul to the airport and met me in the airport, and then we rode the hour-long bus back in. She'd already had the biopsy, so we went in to talk to the doctor about, I guess, the results of it. I wasn't being irrational or anything, I didn't think. I I just, like, I thought they would tell her it was nothing. I expected that. We sat down in this little office and... Korean doctor. Korean doctor, yeah, yeah. I mean he didn't speak perfect English, so he didn't want to I think he didn't want anything to be lost in translation. He wanted to be very honest and be nice and be comforting. But you know. He struggled, so I mean <laughs> he just says like I you have it's bad. This is not good. You have like uh you know, I yeah, he kinda of danced around it for a second and then just said it you have breast cancer. And he, yeah, we.
1: Should, huh. yeah.
2: She immediately went into the. I have to know everything about this mode, so I'm fully prepared for it, and I have control over this. Right that second, right or right that second, it was like a switch. She, her head didn't drop. She was just like instantly. Okay, I'm gonna deal with this now, and this is how we're gonna do it. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I, and I was trying to find something to throw through his computer. She wanted some time with the doctor alone to sort of discuss what it meant and, you know, what kind of treatment and how severe it was and all of that. And I just, I just, like, sat in the lobby and, I don't know, went kind of numb, really. And What was going through your head? I don't know how unfair it was or, how frustrating it was that that happened to her and yeah just how unfair it all was I think so after she was done with the doctor we went downstairs and had to pay for all of like the x-rays and all that stuff and then we left and went and sat outside for a while while she called uh, her parents and I called my parents
1: what did you say to your parents
2: I think I just said Megan has breast cancer and yeah that was probably it (laughs)
1: And do you remember what your parents said?
2: I think they were pretty stunned, and, like, they, they just said, like, it'll be okay. I was just thinking that we had to leave Korea as soon as possible for treatment and all that. Yeah. But, yeah, she went back to Petrolia, and I moved back to D.C.
1: Wait, so she was in Canada. You weren't even in the same country. No.
2: No. It, yeah. It, it was not easy at all. I had to fly to Detroit and either rent a car or get picked up and then drive across the border and get hassled by the border guards and then drive another half hour to her house. Healthcare in Canada is awesome, and healthcare in the States is really good if you have a job that will pay for your healthcare. And I didn't have that, so she couldn't move here. All of 2009 was, like, breast cancer treatment. She had a mastectomy. When they were doing that, they found more cancer cells in the lymph node in her armpit. So they removed, like, all of the lymph nodes, mostly as a precaution. They they wheeled her into the room, and I just, like, walked in. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm sure that they wanted us to, like, you know, be patient about it and let her come out of whatever drug-induced fog that she's in because of sedatives or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. I'd had enough (laughs) waiting at that point. (laughs) I just sort of, like, walked into the room and made sure that she was all right. It took probably a month for the surgery to heal, and then they started her on chemo, like, right away. It's pretty intense round of chemo. Her fingernails turned really yellow and all, some of them almost came off, which is pretty normal for it's, it's gruesome and it's awful. And, and she dealt with it. Oh, she definitely, she more than dealt with it. She documented the whole thing in a blog. That was just like a really straightforward, honest approach to what happens when you're young and you deal with breast cancer. She couldn't find this on her own. She wanted to put it out there to help other people. So other people would get encouragement and insight. So she'd been documenting the whole thing. I mean, put pictures of the scar that she had on her chest, or, you know, what her hair looked like when it all fallen out, or her fingernails. I think that took a lot of strength to do, and it was really important for her to do that so that somebody else along the way would see it. Cancer is awful, and it's especially awful for women because the things that they go through, like, they lose all the things that outwardly make them a woman, and it's. So unfair. Any woman that goes through breast cancer, it, treatment is like a superhero. It's women are held up to this standard where they have to look a certain way and they have to have, you know, long wavy hair and have perfect hourglass figure. Breast cancer treatment just like destroys all of that. It really like tears you down. She's pretty self-sufficient. She oftentimes was comforting me more than I was doing for her, making me feel better about it. Yeah.
1: That's so interesting. I mean, it's like on top of like needing to go through <laughs> her own emotional gauntlet, she's like sort of navigating you through yours.
2: Yeah. yeah, but she was that much stronger. Like it wasn't a huge burden to her to take care of people. This thing that you love this perfect. This perfect thing that you've went out and found that is all yours and loves you just as much as you love it is now being dissected and taken apart. It just felt really unfair and sad, and, like, I feel guilty. Why? I don't... Because it didn't happen to me, and it happened to her. I don't know.
0: So what happened next? You did the chemotherapy,
1: then radiation?
2: After radiation... She had periodic checkups, and those came back clear. Her hair started growing back, and she was really excited to have haircuts and like get a job. And last winter, even, uh, she and I came out here. Uh, my parents live in an RV, and we're camping on the beach in San Diego. And she came and spent San Diego and met all of my family out here, and it was a great trip, yeah.
0: Number 17, get married. No pressure, Adam.
1: How did marriage first come up? I'd been thinking about it for a long time. Before or after the diagnosis, did you start thinking about it?
2: Probably after, when we moved back. I didn't make very much money, so I couldn't, like, save. I was just paying bills, basically. So I didn't really, like, have enough money to get her a ring or anything. Although you don't necessarily need a ring in order to get married. No, that's true. But you search your whole life for, like, the perfect person. You know what I mean? Like, your other half. And I found that. I wanted, like, everything to be perfect for her. I got my grandmother's earrings. She had these huge earrings that had four diamonds on them. And I had them, like, make that into a, just, it was pretty, (laughs) a pretty hefty ring because they were big (laughs) earrings. I sort of felt bad about that, but I mean, it looked really awesome.
0: Number 21, go ice skating in the Rideau Canal.
2: We went to Ottawa for the weekend. It's like a big family weekend, you know, go up and hang out and check out Ottawa, and we wanted to go ice skating on the Rideau Canal. So I'd planned to, like, propose on the canal. I mean, it was this huge, like, awesome, perfect, romantic thing that I had worked out. And then we get there, and it's, like, 50 degrees, and all of the ice had melted <laughs> so, I didn't want to leave Ottawa without proposing to her I'd uh, proposed in the hotel room at like 7 in the morning when we woke up she was an early riser and would get bored so if you didn't wake up then she would start poking you but I tricked her into getting me a water bottle Told her I was really thirsty and wanted some water, and uh, she's like, "What? You're just as far as it from the water as I am. You can do that yourself." And I was like, "I don't feel like it." So, That's <laughs> so, so she, lame. Yeah, I know it was really weak. I, <laughs> like it was the best that I could do on the spot. She came back in with a water bottle, and I had I like put it on her pillow, and she's, <laughs> "What is that? It's a ring." She's like, well, what is it? What's the, what's it for? Well, it's for you. Will you marry me? You're an idiot. It was not the, like, smoothest thing ever, but it, I mean, that was, our relationship was always, like, me being really goofy and not doing things the way that they're supposed to be done or or they just don't work out well and I look like an idiot basically so
1: so you weren't on one knee
2: on the bed I was she was standing up so I was still on one knee but on the bed so we were at the same level (laughs) the ultimate reason for getting married is that I definitely knew that I wanted to be with her forever she was no question the best thing about me she brought out Things that I didn't know about myself that were really positive and good. And she, like, challenged me to make myself better. Number 11.
0: Complete the weekend to end breast cancer, six kilometer walk in Toronto.
2: In January 2010, she started getting like headaches, really bad headaches that like just wouldn't wouldn't ever go away. She went to the doctor, they did like CAT scans or MRIs or whatever and it had metastasized. It had come back and it has two uh, tumors in the back of her brain. When breast cancer comes back in the brain that it's it's sort of i mean it's basically like unreachable, we knew that it was terminal we just didn't know how long yeah it it went downhill like really, really, really quickly yeah the like the ambulance came and took her to the hospital, and we were there, and the doctor told us what was going on and everything and gave her the choice of going back home, like making her comfortable enough to go back home or, you know, passing away in the hospital. And she chose the hospital. Why do you think? I think because she didn't want to make it hard on her family to be in the house. She didn't want anything like negative associated with her bedroom or, you know, any part of the house. She didn't want her family to feel that. Yeah. To the end, she was taking care of people. The very end Me and her mom and her dad were in the room with her when she passed away.
1: was she coherent? Did she talk?
2: yeah, she wanted to know like how long, and her dad said not long, and she told her mom it was going to be okay, and then like laid back and was totally comfortable and just like went to sleep because. It was weird. <laughs> it was really strange.
1: I read your most recent blog post and I was like, wow, like. I was thinking something along the lines of, like, I can identify with, like, a fraction of a fraction of that feeling. Do you know what I mean? It was, like, because I felt like it's, like, the worst possible breakup times one billion.
2: Yeah. I actually thought something similar when I was trying to quantify the feelings or whatever. But this is different. This is very, very... I mean, I don't want to diminish what it's like to go through a breakup because that does suck. But this is, like, really insanely tangible pain. Like, physical. Like, my stomach, I remember right when she passed away, I remember not being able to stand up. I was, like, bent over sobbing and not being able to, like, right myself. I I couldn't stand up because it, like, hurt so bad. Like, that literally feels like being crushed, getting hit by a bus, being run over by a train. It's instantly leveling. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Number 26, travel to India to volunteer with children.
2: I'm in uh, Jaisalmer, which is like the furthest city west you can go before you hit Pakistan. There's just like cattle and goats and pigs all wandering around town. Every couple of weeks, a few guys will come out and round up a whole bunch of pigs, like 10 of these pigs, and put them in a net and uh, haul them off to the bigger hotels that are outside the city for the tourists and foreigners' ham and bacon in the morning. (laughs) It sounds like there's people outside pulling the skin off an animal. It's it's the most blood-gurgling squeal I've ever heard. I didn't know pigs had it in them. They literally live in the sewer system, the, the open thing. They spend all of their time rooting through the sewers. It's, uh, it's a, a pretty gross cycle of food, I would think.
0: Number seven, master the following: sewing, knitting, and crocheting. Number six, my way with Spend at sewing. least a hundred hours volunteering. So far, I'm up to go forty. Go to hours. an NHL game. Don't really care 10, where. I just read want at least to go. twelve books
2: a year. The first thing that I thought of, right after she passed away, right outside the hospital, this was the first moment of clarity that I had.
0: Number sixteen. Make Peter take me to a blue J three. Get some darn shiny nice new glasses
2: Megan had this list of goals and she posted on her blog is a list of things that she wanted to accomplish before she number passed eight, away
0: become part owner of a bed number 12, breakfast. own a little cottage number by a lake two, learn another language go snowshoeing one, hold a PhD
2: <laughs> it was the one thing that I knew that I had to do I didn't have necessarily a purpose before, other than to be with Megan and make her happy every day. Yeah. I think this is subconsciously a way for me to still feel like I'm connected to her.
0: Number 13, take the train across Canada.
2: I don't know what I'm supposed to or going to come to as far as conclusions or or things that I'm supposed to like work through on the train. I I'm honestly like really kind of scared to be alone for with my own thoughts. I know that I'm on a pilgrimage of some sort. I don't know what I'm trying to explain or find or or feel or search for. I know that I want to do these things and keep writing about them for the exact same reason that Megan initially put this out. I myself can't find resources other than really lame 100-page books from the 70s that you find in the library about like what to do with grief now. I want other people to be able to relate in a very real way, and I want to be completely honest about all this stuff like Megan was. That's the most comforting stuff for me, when people tell me this is probably the worst thing that will happen to you it's not going to get better anytime soon. That does so much more for me than somebody says, time heals all wounds. Or it's just <laughs> like, that's so worthless. It's so worthless.
1: I mean, this is like a hard question to ask, but I guess I wonder, and maybe this just, isn't something that you've thought of yet, but I wonder if doing this, fulfilling the goals on the list and that kind of thing, will make it even harder down the road to you know kind of move on you know perhaps you know eventually someday meet somebody
2: else whatever it is do you know what i mean i do i do know what you mean i think well, i don't think i know megan wants me to be happy i know that she wants me to move on uh, she's trying to talk to me about it and i would have moved. you mean lately No no. (laughs) She Okay She tried to To talk to me about it Before she passed away And She would try and like Bring it up and be like You know I Like I, I want you to be happy Like I don't want you to Be upset and Go live by yourself In a shack in the woods You know And drink yourself to death Like I know that she wants that for me But I don't None of that feels right right now So I'm not going to do that Completing her goals trying to finish these things for her and because of her and that feels right so it might make it harder but I honestly like (laughs) I don't want to look for something better like I don't want to move on I don't want to feel better about it I don't want to pretend like this isn't a thing for me anymore I still want to like feel upset and feel like broken-hearted and yeah oh.
0: too much pressure adam too much pressure. too much
2: pressure
0: <laughs> you're ridiculous you're ridiculous okay Mm, the oh, best sweet. Cool. Sweet? Oh. Oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Love and Radio. Adam Warner's website is For the The show was produced by Sean Cole and Ashley Ahern and edited by Nick Van Kolk. Additional help from Aaron Henkin, Sarah Lou, and Eva Walchover. We love getting your feedback. Email us at Contact at love and